Um, it's a, a real privilege to be with you all this morning. Um, and uh, on behalf of Mark Penfold, uh, who you just see, who is my endorser, uh, I want to say thank you for the privilege of representing you as an Army chaplain. I'm in the Army. Uh, whenever we're in an, a joint environment, that is Army, Navy, Marines, or Air Force, the Army likes to say, yeah, you spell joint, not J-O-I-N-T, you spell joint, A-R-M-Y, because we think that the Army is the most important service. Um, but I am an Army chaplain. Up there you saw some, arm, some chaplains that were Navy and Air Force. Uh, one of them actually was serving as a Marine chaplain. And uh, so I am an Army chaplain. I started out, I've, I've been a, a chaplain for, um, for about 12 years now. Uh, I started out at Fort Hood in the first cab, and I deployed right away from the time that uh, I, I came into the chaplain corps. I'd already done all my seminary and done my uh, ministry experience in a local church. Uh, but from the time that I s- signed up to be a chaplain, the time I was uh, in, uh, in Iraq, it was like nine months. So I barely had time to learn how to march, which was a lot of fun to see a bunch of chaplains trying to learn how to march. Uh, so uh, that, was, that was an interesting experience. And then I came back, and then my wife and I moved to uh, Fort Campbell, which is just outside of Nashville. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, so it was really neat to, um, to be uh, near my family. And at Fort Campbell, I served in the mighty 101st Airborne Division uh, for several years. And I was an infantry chaplain, a chaplain that served in the infantry. And uh, I was told, and I got to meet Mr. What, what was your last name, sir? Oliver. Mr. Oliver uh, was in the 69th Infantry Division, is that right, in World War II. He's 95, and in July he would be 96 years old. So I, I would really like to get a picture with you afterwards. Uh, you, you're looking good, man, i got to tell you. Um, I don't know how you did it. After a few years serving in the infantry as a chaplain, my, I've got some back issues from carrying all that weight. Uh, all we would do is uh, just go ruck marching. Um, but I spent a few years at, in the 101st, deployed with them to Afghanistan, and then went to, uh, there at Fort Campbell, went over to what was called Task Force 160, which is the uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Black Hawk Down, uh, that was, uh, the 160s was featured in that m- movie, and so they do all the special operations missions uh, that our nation requires of them. The ones that are in the, see, the Bin Laden mission, that was the 160th, uh, the Task Force 160th. Um, and so I was there for several years and deployed a bunch with them to Iraq and to, um, and to Afghanistan. And then after that, we moved to uh, Washington, D.C., where I continue to serve at Fort Belvoir. Uh, and then this summer, we'll, we'll PCS again. We'll, we'll move again. Uh, so um, I appreciate what uh, the video talks about. I feel like I was a missionary before I came into the chaplain corps. Um, and I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor for 40 years, not, not in uh, Fellowship of Grace Brethren or Caris Fellowship. I was part of an independent Bible church that I grew up in. And so I was very familiar with pastoral ministry, having seen my dad do it for 40 years in the same church all that time. And I was a pastor's kid. Um, and then I was a missionary. And the thing I love about the chaplain corps is that we get to serve in the military as ambassadors for Christ. And there's some rules. Uh, uh, Justin and I were talking earlier. Justin. Justin and Julie. Justin. I got it. I, I wrote the names down. I got all the names. Justin and I were talking earlier. There's some rules we have to play by. And a lot of times I'll get questions about, well, can you not talk about Jesus anymore? And I assure you, uh, because of the First Amendment, I get plenty of opportunities to talk about Jesus. One quick story, and then I'll, I'll get into our sermon for this morning. Forgive me, Tim. 
what time do we, uh, we have until? 2 o'clock. 3 p.m. That's what I told the youth this morning. I was like, hey, guys, I got great news. Uh, Pastor Tim gave us until about noon today. And they're like, they didn't know if I was serious or not. It was like, I'm just kidding. So, 11.40, okay. All right, so um, I'm, in a, I'm in a unique environment, a unique situation right now in the current assignment that I'm in. It's a special operations assignment and um, yeah, it, w- with some really special, very talented, um, uniquely equipped and trained warriors. Um, and uh, w- very smart people, way smarter than I am. And so it's a little bit intimidating as a chaplain. I'm hanging out with these guys, and I'm supposed to have the answers, you know. I do have the Bible, uh, but a lot of these folks are too smart for their own good. You know what I'm talking about, the kinds of people that are so smart, they outthink themselves into, um, into all kinds of chaos in their lives, and they outthink them. They think that they're so smart that, they, uh, that uh, anything having to do with God just is not very smart. It's unintelligent. And uh, so one of my uh, friends that uh, I have become close with in my current unit, I'll just call him Ryan, uh, he's one of these guys, he uh, has been all over the world, he's done all kinds of missions, he's seen all kinds of things, and uh, as a result of some of the things that he's seen, especially as a young infantryman uh, in combat, uh, as a result of religious wars, my friend Ryan uh, has been conv- is convinced that there's no God, there just can't be any God. And um, he, he's, one of, he's one of our national heroes. Uh, and I don't say that because of anything special that he's done, other than the fact that he signed up and he has gone to war on behalf of our nation time after time after time, ever since he was a 19-year-old kid. And he's in his uh, late 30s now. He's been doing it for a long time. He's seen a lot of awful stuff. And, uh, and then he was in special forces for a while. And uh, as a result of all of some of the things that he's seen, it's like, just can't be a God. I don't see how, I can't reconcile the, the idea that there's a God who can be all powerful and all, all loving. You might be familiar with this uh, theological conundrum that um, one philosopher posed. If God can be all powerful and all loving, how can there be such atrocities in the world? And he asks that to me. He says, I, I, he's, just, he's an absolute atheist. There is no God. And, uh, but he likes hanging out with me. I don't know why. He, he's a big crossfitter, which is a form of exercise, and I love working out with him because he, uh, he pushes me to the limit. So we'll work out together, and, and then we'll take a walk around, around the gym and just kind of cool down and talk. And he's always asking about God, which is the irony that he believes there is no God, but he always asks about it. He always wants to have these conversations with me. And you know why. You know why. Because deep down, in faith, deep down, he knows that there's a God. But he just doesn't want to believe. So anyway, we have these conversations, and I'll take him to lunch uh, as often as we can. And uh, the other day, we were coming back from lunch, and we were pulling into our compound there at Fort Belvoir. And he looked over at me, and uh, I, I won't use the same language that he uses. A lot of time when you're in the, Mr. Oliver, you remember the, the language from the military. Um, uh, I'm surrounded by that all the time. And uh, he, he looked in, he, he looked over at me, and he said, Pete, why the... Am I paying tax dollars for you to tell me about Jesus in the military? And he was serious, but he was also kind of joking because he told me before, he's like, and again, I won't use the language he used, but he said, you're the only person that I can have these conversations with. No one else wants to have these conversations with me. But he said, I'm, I'm ravenous 
for these kinds of conversations. So we're pulling into the compound. He asked me that, and I was like, well, you know, it's kind of it's a Title 10. You know, I was thinking about all these uh, technical answers. Title, Title 10 U.S. Code, the First Amendment is why I'm in, to help guarantee, to safeguard the, uh, the First Amendment that uh, there's no establishment of religion, but you also have the freedom to, step, to uh, practice your religion. That's why I'm in the Army as a chaplain, is that because of the First Amendment. So I don't, get, I don't want to walk around just um, imposing Christ on people, but I get to be a representative of the Eagle Commission having lunch with Ryan, who is hungry and he's thirsty for spiritual truth, but he believes there is no God because of all this stuff, and I'm in a unique position. You would never go to church, but you, you have sent me. And so on behalf of you, I am reaching out and developing relationships with guys like Ryan. It's not just Ryan. There's lots of them. And over the course of 12 years, and you saw the chaplains up there, that's what we do. We get to share the love of Christ with people. And we are an extension of you through the Eagle Commission. So that's a little bit about me. That's a little bit about what I get to do. Um, And I wanted to share that. And I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for, um, for helping support um, us and thank you for being a part faithful witnesses of Christ in the Karis Fellowship it is a real privilege to be a chaplain that's associated with saints such as yourselves um, so thank you I do have to say I'm feeling a little bit insecure up here I was noticing the great beards that were up here earlier we got Tim's beard that's uh, really good and then Josh man that is you got game man you got game <laughs> Um, you're getting to the part where you're starting to get like some curl. Do you use beard product? No. no? Um, so I serve in a community where a lot of guys, they wear beards. And uh, in a community of people, rough men who wear beards and who stand on the wall at night and do bad things to bad people. Um, and so I'm, I've got beard envy. Um, so, and then uh, you've got a great beard too. I just like, man, what is it? I was like, I don't have much of a beard game, but uh, anyway. All right, so um, my grandmother, she's with the Lord now. Uh, we, we loved Grammy, and one of the things that Grammy did very well was that she would um, make pies. And um, lemon meringue, peanut, frozen peanut butter pie. I've got the recipe, by the way, for that one if you're interested. It's fabulous. Um, apple pies. My favorite, though was her chocolate meringue pie. And we, it was just this family joke because we loved her pies so much when she would serve it. One time, I pushed away from the table and I slapped my hand on the table. I said, I can't eat it. It's too good. I can't just sit by and keep eating this pie. I can't do it. I have to, I have to respond somehow. And so I stood up and I just put my arms in the air and I said, yes, Lord. And uh, then I sat back down and I kept eating the pie. <laughs> and so the family joke was that uh, grandmother's pies were so good it caused us to worship. And uh, isn't that kind of an expression of what worship is supposed to be? That's exactly what it was. Those songs that we sang. By the way, I love Rend Collective. I'm so glad we sang. I love that song. I love Rend Collective. Uh, thank you for doing that this morning. And uh, so, but as grandmother got a little bit older... Um, she started forgetting some of the ingredients. And uh, 
there are certain ingredients that you can put in some of these pies that you won't know just based on the look of them if the ingredients are all there or not because it still looks good until you eat the pie and then you're like, ah, oh, she forgot the eggs again. And we would always know, she started forgetting things the older she got, and uh, we would always know, we would peek into the kitchen and sure enough there would be the eggs laying on the counter. <laughs> And she would forget some of the eggs. And um, so now she's in heaven. I believe there's going to be chocolate meringue in heaven. If there's not, there's going to be something much better. Uh, I think chocolate meringue maybe is just uh, a foretaste of what. That's why God gives it to us here on this side of eternity. Is to give us a foretaste of what's in heaven. This morning, uh, my son, my four-year-old, was asking me. He said, Poppy, um, why will I not get to take Caramello? Caramello is his little um, uh, pet dog, a uh, uh, fuzzy dog. Uh, not real, it's a stuffed animal. And I was trying to explain to him, and um, I was asking Ryan if he could explain it to him. And Ryan, Ryan's like, well, you know, maybe because Ryan was asking the same question when he was younger. Um, and, and so I said, well, Seb, I think it's maybe because um, he's going to be a symbol of what we get to enjoy. You know how much you love Caramello and how much comfort he brings you? And in heaven, you won't need that. So anyway, I was explaining that, but um, I don't know what that has to do with the pie. I don't think it really has much to do with the foretaste. This morning I want to talk about ingredients. Uh, we're at the beginning of 2020, kind of still, and um, at the beginning of a new year we're always thinking about what this year is going to be about. And God has called you all to do something in 2020. I don't know if you all have codified it yet or you're exactly sure this is exactly what we know God has called us to. And we always know God has called us to share Christ and to preach the word and to love our neighbors ourselves. Those are standing mission orders, if you will, that God gives us. But um, And I, we haven't talked, haven't gotten a chance to talk much about what it is that you all feel God calling to specifically in, in your personal lives. Obviously, I don't know you all personally. But in order for you to be effective, and I'll use the word successful, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by successful in just a second. In order for you to be effective as a local church here in 2020, you got to make sure that when you get to 2020, you look back and there's no eggs on the counter. Okay? you got to be able to look back and say, yes, we had all three ingredients. And I'm going to talk about three ingredients this morning. Three essential ingredients that are absolutely imperative for you as a local body to have in order to be successful in 2020. What do I mean by successful? What I mean by successful is to be faithful to carry out what God has designed for you this year. That's what I mean by successful. Sometimes success brings numbers, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it brings financial prosperity, sometimes it Sometimes success brings adversity and trial. I grew up a son of the church, a PK. My dad served faithfully for 40 years in the same church. And people would come and they would go, and I saw the pain of being a pastor. It's very difficult to be a pastor. And the church never grew that much. It, my dad was just a faithful minister of the gospel, and the, my, my home church family's still there. They're just faithful people. They're doing what God has called them to do. And people would come in and say, well, we need to grow the church. And dad was like, you know, I don't think that's what God's calling me to do. What God's calling me to do is teach the word faithfully. And a few years ago, God decided to let my dad uh, get cancer. My dad and my mom, it's a crazy story, I'll tell you sometime. Both of them got cancer, and they died 40 days apart. 
awful, cruel battle of cancer. I'm sure some of you, probably all of you all in here, have been touched uh, in a powerful, painful way by cancer. We all have. And two couple of 2017, I buried mom and dad in Knoxville. And I look back over their lives at their ministry together, 40 years laboring to share the gospel and to teach the word faithfully, week in and week out. My goodness, what a hard job. What a hard job to be a pastor's wife, to be a pastor. What a hard job to come to church every Sunday and to be faithful, to honor Christ in your testimony and to give to the church, trusting that God's going to take what you worked hard to earn and use it for something. That's not easy to do, to be faithful. And so I look back over the 40 years of my father's life and I ask myself, was my dad successful? The church was not a big church church never grew that big, didn't have any big programs, any big fancy buildings or anything like that. And of course, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> because I look back over the 40 years of my, my parents' lives of faithful ministry together, and that, I say, that's what success looks like. You can take it all, and you can chunk it. I don't want anything that looks pretty. What I want is I want to get to the end of my life, and I want Jesus to take me by the face and say, oh, you did well. You honored me well. You reflected my love well. You did it faithfully. That's what success looks like. Beloved, that is what God wants for you in 2020. He wants success for you. He wants you to get to the end of 2020 and look back and say, be able to ask yourselves, were we faithful? Were we faithful to do whatever it was that God placed in our way to do as individuals, as faithful members of the body of Christ, to, to give in whatever way that you give, to, to serve, and whatever it is that God calls you to serve. And God's answer for you is yes. He wants you to say, we were successful. And it, it's right to use that word and to frame, to frame an assessment of this year, how it goes with that word success. And that's what success looks like. And in order to do that, though, we've got to have three ingredients. So that's my introduction. Um, Sometimes my introductions go a little bit long. This morning I want to share from the book of John, chapter 4. I, I'm not going to read the story because of time. But it's the story of when Jesus left to go north back to Galilee. And he, he told his disciples, we've got to go back up north. And do you remember what Jesus said that he had to do? Verse 4 of chapter 4. Do you remember what he said? He said, we have to go through Samaria. I want to pray, and then we're going to talk about three ingredients we see from that encounter that he has with someone at the well in Samaria. God, in the time that we have this morning, I pray that you would bring out these three ingredients that you have brought to my mind are essential for success. And I believe that as we look at the text, we'll see that these ingredients are essential. And I pray that these ingredients would be baked into the goodness of what you're doing in this body of Christ here in Waynesboro in 2020. Move our hearts and, and capture our affections with the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Move us to where you want us to be, we pray this morning. Jesus' name, amen. A few quick uh, social and historical bits of context 
in the time of Jesus, the context was defined by two very important things, religion and restoration. So the Jewish people, very religious, of course. The Jewish people, they have, the, uh, they have the, their God Yahweh and they have the, 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 the Mosaic Covenant. And after the fall of Israel and the um, conquest that they suffered and being carried off to Assyria and Babylon and then being restored. And then after them came Greece and then comes Rome. They're living in a time of tremendous oppression. And these Jews were faithful and observant keepers of the Torah. But for them, religion had become associated with this desire to earn God's favor. And so we had this religious ruling class within the Jewish community called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they put these burdens on the people saying, you've got to work hard to earn God's favor. And we know that that's not what the law was designed to do. Grace was evident in God's design from the very beginning. And they were distorted the use of the law. And they thought that by keeping the law, they could earn God's favor. So we have this religious context. We also have the context of restoration. And, and what they knew was going to happen. They knew that God, Yahweh, was going to be faithful to his covenant. He was going to restore his kingdom. They knew that was going to happen. And so they kept looking for the restoration of the kingdom. But meanwhile, they're under the boot heel of Rome. And they're being... Uh, they're being disregarded and disrespected by these Roman soldiers and they just don't quite understand. Yahweh, when are you going to restore everything? And so the, the religious tenor of the teaching of the day was that if you keep the law faithfully enough and if you work hard enough, God's going to come back and restore us. And so you had this religious class that was very pious in the negative sense of the word, very pompous in their external manifestation of holiness. And they thought, if I just stay pure enough, then God will be pleased with us and he will come and he will restore the kingdom. And because we're the religious leaders, we'll be at the top. So that's kind of the big picture background. And then that's the, the context in which Jesus comes. But you know what? Who The people that start following Jesus are not these religious people. The religious people are like, who is this guy? He doesn't look like us. He doesn't talk like us. And so they were very offended and they had a problem with this Jesus guy. Like I shared in the high school group. People always trying to pigeonhole him, categorize him. And you couldn't do it because he was God. It's like, well, is he from the Sadducees? Is he from the Pharisees? Who is this guy? Is he a religious person? And Jesus was God. And the people that loved being around Jesus were not the religious types. Who were the ones that liked being around? They were the people, the rabble, the ones that didn't fit in quite well enough. And so Jesus had this following, and Jesus was bringing something new and exciting. And his disciples at the time didn't quite understand that he was not the political figure that they thought he was going to be. They kind of assumed, and I think we see this played out in the other Gospels as we get into Jesus' ministry, that they were kind of expecting Jesus was going to be kind of like a general coming in and he was going to turn Rome upside down and restore Israel. And what all along we understand is Jesus was bringing a spiritual kingdom, the church. An upside-down kingdom, not one of physical power, one of spiritual power. Not one that wins through conquest, external conquest, by subjugation, military subjugation, but spiritual conquest that transforms from the inside out. And so when he says, i got to go through Samaria, his disciples are like, what? Because Samaria was full of half-breeds, and to the Jewish 
religious elite and to the people who tried to keep Torah, the Samaritans were a mutation of religion. It was, if I could say, for us as Christians, it might be kind of like Mormons. And so, in Bible teaching churches, we understand Mormons don't teach the gospel, clearly. And so, just to kind of give you an analogy a little bit of what they might have felt, why are we going to go hang out with Mormons? Why are we passing through Mormons? That's That's not who we are, Jesus. We're faithful. Because the Assyrians were descendants of Assyria. Excuse me, the Samaritans were descendants of Assyria, and they represented... A time when Israel was carried off and then in the exile and then Assyria sent back Assyrians and mixed in with the Jewish people and created a population of Samaritans. So they weren't pure Jews and the custom of the day was to go around Samaria. They would go way out of their way to go back up north so that they could avoid the Samaritans. It wouldn't have anything to do with them. So Jesus said, we got to go through Samaria. Verse 4 of chapter 4. I'll read it. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. The first ingredient that we see to be faithful to God and to have success this year is to have the right purpose. Is to have the right purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because it was very inconvenient for them in a, in, in a cultural way. It made them uncomfortable. But Jesus had to go through Samaria, Samaria because he knew that God was calling him to have an encounter with a woman who is thirsty for truth. He was always in tune with the Father, and he knew what his Father's purpose was, was to bring the kingdom of God. Beloved, what is your purpose this year? Maybe you all have distilled into a specific vision for this year, or over the next few years, whatever. But ultimately, your purpose is not a new program. You can have all the greatest programs, you can have all the greatest designs, you can do all the neatest, slick things with all the right campaigns. But if the purpose behind it is not to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to parched souls, your purpose is wrong. The first ingredient to ensure that you're successful is to make sure that you are aligned with God's purpose. Knowing Jesus and making Him known. Now that happens at a church level. That's Tim and the elders' responsibilities to ensure that the church is moving in that direction, that whatever initiatives you all have are in line with that. But beloved, each one of you as saints of the Most High God, children of the Most High God, you are called with this purpose. And you are responsible to ensure that your gifts and your resources are aligning with the purpose of the local body of Christ where you are members. What is your purpose as an individual? And how does that line up with the purpose of the local church? That was the first ingredient. Be on the lookout. If you ask God to put you in the path of those who are seeking the truth, like the woman, the Samaritan woman, and if you start to expect it to happen, watch out, it will. The 
first most essential ingredient necessary for this church to be successful in 2020 is having the right purpose. That purpose is to know Jesus and make him known. As you do this, he will provide the second essential ingredient you must have. And that's power. This last assignment at Fort Campbell, I was with Task Force 160 and it, an aviation regiment. And they fly these aerial weapons platforms, helicopters. For me, I call them helicopters, but they're a chaplain. It's an aerial weapons platform. And I would get to go on training missions with them in these, these gunships. And we'd go to Virginia Beach, and we'd go out over the ocean. They would do gunnery on ships and diving into the ocean. And they have these 30-millimeter uh, cannons on the side of them. They have these rockets. They have Hellfire missiles. And they have these Dillon miniguns that shoot thousands of rounds of 7.62 ammunition Thousands of rounds per minute. Thousands of rounds. And I've seen what these weapon systems do to human flesh. It's awful. It's awful. The power that these systems have to accomplish the mission, there's a reason why these weapon systems have this kind of power. It's because we know that the power is necessary to carry out some of these missions. Do you think that God would call you to know Jesus and make him known here in Waynesboro without giving you the right kind of power? Do you think that God would call you and fail to load the right weapon system on this platform? Not at all. Not at all. God will equip you with the power to provide. What did Jesus offer this woman? And I encourage you to read it for your devotions later this week. This woman had spent her life looking for something to make her whole. And she spent her life reaching for relationship after relationship after relationship. You remember how many relationships? She was on her fifth. Searching to quench thirst. She's looking for security, wholeness, dignity, we're not sure. The text tells us that when Jesus encountered her, it was what time of day? It was the middle of the day. No one went to the well to draw water in the middle time of the day. Why? Because it's hot in the Middle East. It's hot. I've been there. I can vouch. It's hot in the middle of the day. You go when it's cool in the evening or in the morning, when the sun's down. But she went in the middle of the day because she was a woman of ill repute. And she didn't want to suffer the shame of being around the other women. She wanted to be there alone. She was thirsty. And Jesus comes and he approaches her and he says, Would you please offer me a drink? Draw some water for me. And she's like, What are you? You're a Jew and you're asking me to serve you water. And that's another thing. She was a woman. And women, women were considered his property. And she was a little taken aback that Jesus, this Jewish man, would ask her. And there's no one around. She was kind of like, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. God had called him for a purpose to encounter this woman who was thirsty. And he says, I would offer you, what the water I offer you will never, may, never make you thirsty. And she's thinking, well, I, I'd love not to come to this well anymore. What kind of water? And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about that kind of water. And so Jesus discerns her thirst. And sh they start having this conversation. She says, well, I know that... I know that the Messiah is going to come one day, but until then, we, we have this understanding of how we're supposed to worship. And Jesus looks at her. Do you remember what he says to her? I, of whom you speak, am he. 
And I just I love to imagine that moment where she's like, wow, you are the Messiah. And her hands start trembling, and she's astonished. And if you read the text, you'll see it later. She puts down her jar, and what does she do? She runs into town, and she starts telling everyone, friends, Jesus offered her the power of his own life living water that would well up within her so that she would never thirst again. Friends, the power that you have is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Here in this town, within this block, within your families, I'm sure, people are thirsty and they're grasping for things to fill them, to make them whole. They're desperate. One relationship after another, one career move, one acquisition, one more this, one more that. Just desperately hoping for something that will quench the thirst. Beloved, you have the power through the Holy Spirit who lives in you to deliver the living water who is Jesus Christ. The first essential ingredient is the right purpose. To know Jesus and to make him known. The second most essential ingredient is to provide the gospel. Which is the power to accomplish what God is calling you to do. Which leads us to us to the, the third essential ingredient. A few years ago, um, when I moved back to Knoxville after being in seminary, I'd always wanted to be a trout fisherman. I, I, I didn't grow up in the outdoors, uh, but I always wished that I had. My father was not an outdoorsman, and we would try to go fishing, but it was never a lot of fun because neither of us were any good at it. But I always wanted to, I saw the movie River Runs Through it, and I, I wanted to learn to become a fisherman, a fly. A, a trout fisherman. And I met a friend. He was my, um, my Christian school teacher growing up. He was like an uncle to me. And I came home from seminary. I was living in Knoxville for the first time in a long time. And he invited me. He said, Pete, I'd love to take you trout fishing. It's like, Ron, I'd love to go. But I don't know how. And he said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll teach you. And I said, well, I don't even know what to bring. Are we fly fishing? What, what are we doing? Do I need, what do I bring? He said, don't worry about anything. I'll teach you all you need to know. I'll have everything you need. Just show up at my house. It's like, all right, what time? You know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Oh, <laughs> no, we're going to go trout fishing. <laughs> and I, I like to catch trout. So I want you to be at my house at 530. Like, whoa, all right. Um, well, that's a little early for me, Ron. Um, but uh, sure, I, I'd like to go trout fishing. So sure enough, he takes me up, and uh, we went to the Clinch River up at the Norris Dam. If you've ever been to ten East Tennessee, you might be familiar with Norris Lake. They have a, the TVA system. They have this huge lake called Norris Lake, and uh, the dam system that underneath, they release the water in this cold, cold water, the Clinch. And um, it's perfect for stocking trout. And um, so he, we have a headlamp. I'm like, good grief, we're walking through the. What are you doing with me, Ron? This is, this is not what I thought. Yeah. You know, river runs through it. They're, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, don't worry about that. We're going to actually catch fish. And Ron started to teach me how to trout fish, not fly fishing. It's a totally different thing that we were doing. Uh, but we would always go see trout fishing. Whenever we trout fish, I'd always see the fly fishermen doing their thing. And I'd be like... And they'd never catch fish. <laughs> We're just hauling trout out of the river. And uh, I fell in love with trout fishing. And he taught me how to use the equipment. He taught me how to do the right hook. He taught me the right line to use. He taught me when to go. He taught me where to go. And you know what else started happening as I started learning and going with Ron? I, I kindled a very meaningful relationship with this. I call him the trout master. Um, we had a very special relationship as he taught me. 
And something that I love to do, I get emotional, he's in heaven now too, but it's just a very special chapter in my life. But something else started to happen as I started catching fish, I was able to start going on my own. And if you've ever done something that you thought was so inconceivable and impossible and difficult, and someone teaches you how to do it, and then you start doing it on your own, it's like, oh, this is amazing. I'm trout fishing. Brad Pitt has nothing on me. And I was pulling out these beautiful rainbow trout out of the Clinch River. And I would take them home. And I would cook them for my family and for my friends. And it brought so much joy. <laughs> I'm crying. I don't know why. It's like the, the chocolate meringue pie. I'm remembering these things. And you know what that birthed in me? It birthed a passion. Because I had a desire, but I didn't know how. But someone came and he taught me, he gave, he instilled into me the skills. So I had the opportunity. And I had the, the desire. And I had the knowledge. And I had the equipment, thanks to Ron. A passion was born in me. A passion for trout fishing. That's the third ingredient. When we see Jesus has this encounter with the Samaritan woman, she puts down her jar and she runs and she says, Come and hear someone who's known everything I've ever done. And they come and if you read the text later, you'll see Jesus, they ask him, Stay with us. Stay. Because you have something that we're thirsty for. And it says many more came to believe. Friends, as you, as you live out the right purpose in your own lives and in the context of the local body of Christ here, and as you trust Him for the power to do what He's called you to do to fulfill that purpose, something is going to happen. Watch out. It's, it's already happening. It has already happened throughout your lives. It will continue to happen. A passion will burn and smolder. The kind of passion that will sustain you all the way to the end like it did my parents. <clears throat> Who to the end, as they're lying in bed together, dying together, the end imminent, they've got these crazy tears. Not tears of sadness. What are you doing? Your tears of joy? Why are you singing? You're dying. You're falling apart. I can smell you dying. <laughs> yeah, it's like it makes no sense. And yet you're laughing and you're singing. It's this passion for their whole lives. All 72 years of their life, they sought to know and to love and to make known Jesus. And they saw his power change lives in that little church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And that passion smoldered and it burned and it sustained them all the way. That's the passion that God is putting in you and will continue to put in you. And he wants to put more of it in you. And God, I want you to put more of that in me too. Because I want to be faithful. To carry Jesus to my friend Ryan who's thirsty. And he thinks one more degree. One more master's degree. One more promotion. One more thing is going to, really that's going to satisfy him. There's a lot more Ryans out there that God is calling you to. Pray for me. Pray for 
the other chaplains that are reaching to the, the Ryans. And not just the Ryans, but the other saints who are in the military and who are trying to be faithful witnesses, just like you're being trying to be faithful witnesses here in your community. It's a privilege to represent you and to be your ambassador for Christ in the military. Let's pray. God, I, I ask that you would continue to keep these three ingredients fixed in our minds. The right purpose, your power, and the passion that comes from knowing you and seeing you at work. Accomplish your purpose. May this body of Christ be successful according to your standards when they get to the end of 2020. May I be faithful. May the Eagle Commission be faithful with these three ingredients. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.